one show on pop culture and politics. This is the Michael Medved Show. And another great day in this greatest nation on God's green earth. A great nation in the midst of a great election campaign. There are elections tomorrow in New Jersey, state legislative elections, which will test the power of Governor Murphy. His wife, it looks like, the First Lady of New Jersey, is planning to run for a Senate seat, which uh, may not be uh, housing any further Bob Menendez, who, of course, has been indicted on a number of charges. Speaking of indicted on a number of charges, uh, President Trump is facing a whole series of trials, even after his testimony today. This is just the beginning and many of those trials to be occurring right in the midst of the presidential primaries. Could that force him out of uh, this election? It, it doesn't seem to be leaning in that direction because the uh, more that Trump gets indicted, the more that he gets accused, uh, the more popular he seems to get, the more determined his base, his followers, his loyalists seem to rally behind him. So what can happen to change this dirge-like, dreary parade to uh, a year from now that would be involved with having the 77-year-old Trump as the only real alternative to the 80-year-old Biden? Uh, we'll be speaking to Juan Williams of Fox News about some of the weird things that could happen uh, saying that no prediction for next year's race is too weird to come true. Uh, we'll be talking to uh, Juan Williams coming up on that. Juan Williams was not definitely at the big rally in Washington, D.C. It was uh, billed as a rally for Palestinian liberation and for uh, the great nation of Palestine, which, of course, has never existed. Uh, and a speaker at the uh, anti-Israel rally in Washington uh, basically said that the Palestinians have the right to fight for their land by any means necessary. Uh, listen, this is clip one. It is right to rebel. Israel can go to hell. First thing I want to get into here is that Palestinians are showing us what decolonization really looks like. Oppressed people fight tooth and nail for their freedom. But I want to make it very clear that for the oppressed and colonized people of the world, for the Palestinians living in the open-air prison of Gaza, having faced decades of ethnic cleansing, land theft, and repression, decolonization ain't a metaphor. This is real. Palestinians have a right to rebel. What that means is they have a right to fight to free their land from the river to the sea by any means necessary. And I do mean any means necessary. Okay. The uh, do means any means necessary means including terrorism, obviously. When he talks about the uh, Palestinians living in the open air prison, they make the rules. They're the wardens there. There, there is no foreign domination or colonial power or colonization of Gaza. It doesn't exist. Uh, between 1948, when uh, the state of Israel gained its independence and recognition by the UN and etc., 
between 1948 and 1967, for those 20 years, Gaza was uh, uh, held by Egypt. And it was part of Egypt, and uh, that continued until 1967. Uh, as a result of Israel's victory in the June War in 1967, they took over the Gaza Strip. And by the way, the reason that Israel kept the Gaza Strip at that time was because during that previous 19-year period, there was a phenomenon called the Fedayin, which was a, a in Gaza, located in Gaza, and very much encouraged by the Egyptian government, uh, they were early terrorists who would come across the border between uh, Egypt and Israel and uh, basically raid Jewish settlements, uh, murder people, try to attack army bases, etc. But the idea that uh, the people live in an open-air prison and that there's genocide going on and ethnic cleansing. Okay, back to that uh, period between 1967 and 2005, which is a 38-year period. It's a long period of time. In that period of time, the population of Gaza went up. It didn't go down. How do you how do you claim ethnic cleansing? How do you claim genocide when the population of Palestinians in Gaza quadrupled during the time that? Israel uh, actually held that territory, and Israel basically left the territory and handed it over to the Palestinians to make what they will of it, because that was the overwhelming majority of the population in Gaza. And, uh, and then the decision was actually made by Hamas by winning an election and, uh, and then by driving out the uh, people from Fatah, the rival Palestinian group, the Palestinian Authority. Uh, this big uh, event in Washington, D.C., it uh, also featured the Seattle rapper Macklemore, who, uh, along with the hundreds of thousands of other people, had this to say about the war in Gaza. First and foremost, this is absolutely beautiful to observe today. I didn't expect to be on a microphone, but there are thousands of people here that are more qualified to speak on the issue of a free Palestine than myself. But I will say this, they told me to be quiet. They told me to do my research, to go back, but it's too complex to say something, right? To be silent in this moment. In the last three weeks, I've gone back and I've done some research and I'm teachable. I don't know enough, but I know enough that this is a genocide. And we are scared. We are watching it unfold. We have been taught to just be complicit, to protect our careers, to protect our interests. And I'm not going to do it anymore. I'm not afraid to speak the truth. Okay, when you speak like that, the question would be, okay, look at the other side for just a moment, Macklemore. Uh, what would you do if you were an Israeli leader? 
and you just with no provocation, none, with, again, a complete independence already granted and Palestinian rule already granted to the entire Gaza Strip, this is not a fight over boundaries. This is not a fight over who will control the Gaza Strip. This is a fight against terrorism, against murder, against killing at least 1,400 people and holding 240 hostages. Macklemore continued uh, in the uh, same spirit in which he began, having, quote, done his research, which I'd love to try to speak with him about. Uh, this is clip 13. You know, my daughter, my daughter said to me this morning, she said, she's eight years old. She said, Dad, when we protest today, when we march today, how are the people in Palestine going to know that we're showing up? Look at this. Look at this. The world is watching what we do right now in this moment of injustice. Okay, given the fact that there has been not, not the slightest initiative to guarantee Israel's security, to release hostages, to make any progress toward justice, isn't that a bit ironic? Uh, we'll be speaking with Juan Williams of Fox News on weird predictions about the presidential race coming up. I'm addicted to the Michael Medved show and on the Michael Medved show one of America's most independent minded political observers is Juan Williams a Fox News analyst a uh, columnist for the Hill magazine a, a former reporter scribe for the Washington Post and the author of several best-selling books including what the hell do you have to lose, which has to do with uh, the Trump administration and the Trump phenomenon and uh, the black community. Uh, Juan's latest piece in The Hill, no prediction for next year's race is too weird to come true. Is there any prediction in particular among the ones that you mentioned or maybe even the ones that you didn't mention? Any possibility for next year's race that actually keeps you up at night, Juan Williams? Well, I think, you know, from the Democrats' perspective, Michael, I think it's the idea that something happens to Biden and that uh, despite his reluctance to pull out, he's forced to pull out, in which case then, on the Democratic side, really things are thrown up in the air. I don't know if you saw this, but over the weekend there was a lot of talk about why is Gavin Newsom over in China and you know and all that kind of thing, and is he running a shadow presidential campaign? Um, and I think that you know all of a sudden you'd see not only uh, Gavin Newsom, but then you'd have Whitmer of uh, Michigan, maybe uh, you know J.T. Pritzker of Illinois. I think there'd be lots of attention then to what happens. Uh, with Vice President Kamala Harris, and are people offended that the first black Asian vice president doesn't automatically get the nomination? It would be pretty chaotic on the Democratic side. 
Uh, it would indeed. And what about the Republican side if uh, all of a sudden – I mean, it's kind of hard to imagine uh, Trump losing, except when you think about it, if he ends up finishing second – or even a week first in Iowa and then losing in New Hampshire, uh, that because he's such a prohibitive favorite and because he's been president before, that kind of knocks the uh, wind out of his sails, doesn't it? Well, yes, and I think that's what, I mean, they don't say it, <laughs> but I think that's why you have all these people running. Uh, you know, they they clearly are trying to stake out a lane as the, alternative to Trump. Um, but it, that's not selling with Republican primary voters in Iowa or elsewhere at the moment. However, as you noted over the weekend, Kim Reynolds, the governor of Iowa, endorsed DeSantis. DeSantis has been fading, but he's tied for second with Haley. Meanwhile, in New Hampshire, Governor Sununu looks like he's set or ready to endorse Haley. And, uh, you know, so you could see Trump having a little trouble in both those states, although, you know, let's be clear with the listener, Trump is still up, I think, by 27 percentage points in Iowa and still up in, in New Hampshire. He is, and he had that, that new series of swing state polls from uh, Siena College and the New York Times that shows that in all of the crucial swing states, Pennsylvania and Michigan and Arizona and Georgia and Nevada, uh President uh, Trump is well ahead of Joe Biden. The only one where Biden is ahead is Wisconsin. Uh, what does that tell you about the state of mind in this country looking ahead to the election, which is just a year from now? It's uh, a year from today. So it's a year what are we from today. With? In fact, that's the way I started the column is to remind people we're a year out, and uh, that's why I think lots of weird things might happen. And, you know, it's, it's hard to predict, but at this point you'd say, boy, it looks like this is going to be a roller coaster, topsy-turvy type experience of, in terms of American politics. So what I would say to you about that New York Times-Siena poll, Michael, is that uh, two things. One is, do you realize that, you know, President Obama, President Trump were just about in the same place a year out. So, you know, that doesn't tell you a whole lot. But it does tell you at this moment, when I look at the numbers, especially you do a little bit of a dive, what strikes me is that people are just grumpy and that they are right now focused on Joe Biden as the reason for all the problems, for the wars in the Middle East, for the war in Ukraine, for the dysfunction in Congress, even though you might say, oh, gosh, that was a you know Republican fight and a Republican fight gone wrong that shut down the Congress for those three weeks. But I think people are just like, you know, I don't like politics. I find this so upsetting. Why aren't things working? And then, of course, their number one complaints about the economy. Uh, and it looks like we're doing a little better with inflation, but people are still like, no, I think prices are too high. But in all of this, they are pointing a finger at Joe Biden. And then, of course, there are things like his age or he, he walks stiffly. All of that, it's all about him. It's not about Donald Trump. I think Americans oftentimes complain about the person in power because they assume that they're responsible for the current state of affairs. 
But the thing about a year from now, Election Day, is that we will have less of a referendum on Biden and more of a choice between Biden and Trump if these two hold on. And at that point, you can expect that lots of other issues will intervene, like abortion, for example, but also, uh, you know, some of the comments Trump has made about Israel or about Russia. Um, you know, at that point, you really do have to ask people, are you going to buy into the Trump package in the way that we've seen, uh, you know, so many in the House buy into it and the chaos that's attached to that decision? When you say the chaos attached to that decision, uh, one thing that you didn't talk about in your column and where there certainly could be every kind of surprise, I haven't heard much speculation on Trump, who is the likely nominee. If he is the nominee, who does he pick as his running mate? I, I think that the odds are very strong. It won't be Mike Pence again. <laughs> I think that would no, be I hard think, to imagine. Right. So, uh, obviously, you have um, people who are competing for that post, and I think some of them are running supposedly against him. I can't imagine that he would feel favorably towards DeSantis or Haley at this point. I think that he would see them as, you know, rhinos and all the rest. But uh, you look at Tim Scott and you say, huh, you never know. He's been pretty favorable towards Scott. How about Vivek Ramaswamy? He's been very favorable and, you know, you can see some potential there. Um, and then you have people uh, like the woman who was running for Senate out in Arizona. I'm blocking on her name. Uh, uh, Carrie Lake. Carrie Lake, yeah. She, she's she been very clear, I think, that she would love to have that nomination. Well, um, no, she's running for Senate now. And she, she actually said that uh, this takes her out of the vice presidential race. Uh, uh, Juan, can you want to stay around? And, uh, yeah, I wanna... I'd be delighted. Good, because I want to go to your column about uh, Nikki Haley combating anti-Semitism. And uh, more coming up on the Medved Show. Love your show. The Michael Medved Show. I give it four stars. Michael Medved show a few minutes more with Juan Williams of uh, Fox News and uh, one of the things that you wrote a column about recently is um, how Nikki Haley could uh, benefit her campaign uh, by standing up against uh, GOP anti-Semitism. Uh, Juan, what do you mean? Well, you know, to my mind, one of the things about the entire GOP primary race has been the failure for anybody to stand up to Donald Trump. Apparently, they fear that uh, the Trump base would then reject them, and they're all hoping, as we discussed in the prior segment, to become the alternative to Trump if he stumbles or fails, maybe because of all the indictments and trials that he's involved with. Um, but... When it comes to anti-Semitism, here is an opportunity because Trump has not only gone after Israel. Like I mean, he—he's—he—it's very strange because he's the same guy who moved the capital to Jerusalem. 
uh, says that he's the biggest fan. But then comes this moment, and he says Hamas is smart, Michael. Uh, uh, Hezbollah. And he, starts, he said Hezbollah was smart. Hezbollah but same, was smart. Same idea, yeah. Okay, and then he goes after Netanyahu and says that Netanyahu had backed out of a deal with him, and it was just not the right moment. It's really sour tone. And it reminded me, if you look at some of these very conservative groups, uh, that they were blaming Netanyahu uh, for the attack as if he – he does, you know, clearly they should have – the intelligence community in Israel should have known something, but they are all about – did he know something and allow this? And I'm like, this is bizarre. They're trying to blame the Israelis. I don't think there's no shortage of critics of Netanyahu, but nobody's going to blame the Israelis. But no, some of these uh, Republican groups on the Internet are doing just that. And then, of course, it reminded me that if you go way back, someone you might know, Michael, Patrick Buchanan, who once said, you know, big Republican ran for president. He described Capitol Hill as Israeli occupied territory. This is all part, it seems to me, of what has been going on among Republicans. I know right now they're very quick to say, oh, there's people on the left in the Democratic ranks. But you stop and think about it. Those people are at the fringes, and they are treated as outcasts for the most part. But, you know, the history and the long history of critical comments about Jews coming from conservatives, that's not news. There's nothing there's nothing, nothing groundbreaking there. Well, again, though, at, I was just talking to the audience uh, about this a little bit earlier. Is on this issue, on the issue of support for Israel, the only Republican who voted against uh, the resolution in the House of Representatives condemning Hamas was Thomas Massey of Kentucky, who is. Right. Uh, he's kind of aligned with Ron Paul, who was poisonously anti-Israel, and Rand Paul, who's a little bit better. But uh, in any event, it, there were a total of 15 Democrats who either voted present or they didn't find it in their hearts. They voted no, nine who voted no, and uh, uh, refused to condemn Hamas. Now, that shocked me. I mean, and it included people who, well, I guess you could say that they were on the fringe, but uh, people like uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and Diana Presley and uh, 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 Ilhan Omar and, of course, Rashida Tlaib, who also put up a Palestinian flag uh, the day after the attacks of October 7th. So you, you, you talk about Haley, and she's been the uh, subject of a, a bunch of your recent columns. Uh, do you agree with the conventional wisdom that she is gaining momentum and could end up being the most serious challenger to President Trump? Yes, and you know what? I, I think I was on your show, and you at the end of a segment with me, you said, who do you think might drop out? And that that wise man, Juan Williams, he said, well, maybe Nikki Haley. And I ever since, I've got, oh, my gosh, I wake up in the middle of the night and say, why did I say that to Michael? Um, but, you know, I don't think to. there's any doubt that in the polls, she's the one that's been picking up momentum and she's the one that's been picking up donors. Even though they're tied in Iowa, 
uh, DeSantis and Haley are, have been headed in different directions. She's like up 10 points from where she was a month or two ago. He's down 10 points. So they're both at around 16%, as I said earlier, way behind Trump. But the energy, the momentum seems to be with the Haley camp. And I think it's it makes it all the more important for her to have a standout debate performance this this week coming this Wednesday night. But I would say that part of the reason that she's gaining ground is, again, more of a willingness to separate herself out from Trump. And I think on this point about U.S. support for Israel at this moment, she could make a big move by saying, look at what Trump has done, and here's why you shouldn't be supporting Trump, but support me, Nikki Haley. Well, it's also she's a big difference on the Ukraine, particularly as opposed to DeSantis and yep. Vivek Ramaswamy and Trump. I mean, Trump says he would solve the the Ukraine war in 24 hours. The only way he would do that would be trying to force Zelensky into surrender. And that's not what I think the majority of Republicans, certainly not the majority of the American people, seem to want. Well, that's right. Although right now what we're seeing and experiencing in Washington uh, is a, a number, a large faction of Republicans in the House who seem to be questioning uh, support for the Ukraine as a kind of bottomless pit of expenses. Why are we keep throwing money? Why aren't we using money here at home? I'm sure you've heard this rhetoric. But you're right. Overwhelmingly, the American people say that it's important to stop Putin and protect the Ukraine. And it's also being said, and I note that it's being said by Republican leaders like Mitch McConnell in the Senate, they're not buying into this. It's important also to send a signal to China and it's important to sell, send a signal to our enemies in the Middle East. So, again, they're out of step, and it would be a moment where Haley, given her foreign policy chops, could demonstrate how she stands apart from Trump in a way that would say, I'm a real conservative, I'm a real Republican. Yeah, I was just thinking about it, talking to you, Juan. Uh, if Nikki Haley did, through some miracle, actually win the nomination... Uh, it, the the entire tenor of the election, the tone of the election, uh, the the bitterness, the apocalypticism, the sense that we were losing our country and that everything was on the verge of civil war, it would be tamped down. I, I mean, it's kind of easy to, and almost reassuring to imagine if there were a presidential election between Nikki Haley and Joe Biden. Now, by the way, the polling shows right now that Nikki Haley would win. That same Siena uh, College New York Times poll showed that Nikki Haley won all of the swing states and won them by more comfortable margins than Donald Trump. So, uh, <laughs> again, then that raises if Nikki Haley is the nominee, who's the running mate? Uh, I, yeah, I don't but also, it, it also raises the intriguing question, what happens to Trump's populist base? Uh, you know, that's not Nikki Haley's base. Nikki Haley's base is in, I would say they're still strongly conservative, but more moderate and less populist than the Trump base. And uh, would they come out for Nikki Haley? That's a big question. Or Robert F. Kennedy Jr. or Cornell West. Uh, you're right in your column. We've posted it on our website. There are so many weird things that could happen. 
in this greatest nation on God's green earth. Juan Williams, always a joy speaking to you. Have a happy Thanksgiving coming up with your family. We'll be right back. The Michael Medved Show. All across America, this is The Michael Medved Show. show there's always a source even on very serious issues to get uh, some humor when it comes to Bill Maher and uh, he spoke with uh, some skepticism about the current tendency of progressives to very openly support the terrorist group Hamas and to spread and champion anti-semitism uh, clip 14 listen gut-wrenching anti-Semitism. I, I must admit, I don't think of myself as a naive person, and I've been surprised. Are we okay? Uh, yes. And uh, again, and what he was talking about in particular was uh, people worried about the tiki torches in uh, that they... Uh, used in Charlottesville to march around a synagogue uh, saying, no, the Jews won't replace us. Who's marching with the tiki torches now, he asked. And then uh, considering the crisis on the U.S.-Mexico border, Bill Maher had this to say. Because this is the time of years when we get a caravan. They always call it a caravan. These are the immigrants coming up from Central America through Mexico. It sounds like a merry band of jugglers, but it's... <laughs> of course desperate people and i don't know this is the second i read this today second year in a row illegal crossings uh have been over two million i think that's a record now this is broken down to asylum seekers that's a category that never used to be this high because the criteria to be a asylum seeker was a lot more stringent Nine hundred thousand, um and then what they call gotaways I had never heard that term, but I think I can guess what it means. <laughs> they got away. That's 600. That, so that's 1.5 million. That I guess. So I guess we stopped half a, half a million. And we, we, we stopped one out of four. Uh, I just want to say, if Biden has a plan for immigration, it's very subtle. And uh, in, it remains very subtle. Uh, there's actually a piece in the New York Times about how Nikki Haley has actually uh, done a good job of differentiating herself. And because she talks about the need with people who are here undocumented, who are here illegally, to make a distinction between people who have been working at a job and people who have been actually breaking the law regularly by taking public benefits, which are not supposed to be available for people who are <clears throat> among the undocumented population. Um, meanwhile, there is a increasing information and uh, increasing concern about the 
of the open anti-Semitism on college campuses. And again, the, the number of people who have actually been assaulted over this issue here in the United States, it's, it's just extraordinary. And it's, it's one of those things that I think has surprised a, a lot of people. And uh, <laughs> then I'll tell you one other thing with Bill Maher. He uh, talked about it in his Club Random podcast. He laughed at Neil deGrasse Tyson, a great astronomer, a sort of public intellectual, about his inability to make a simple admission that men have a clear advantage over women in some sports. Listen, this is clip 24. So if we can split wrestling into 10 categories, and that becomes the wrestling match. But all men against each other. Correct. So, okay, so again, now I get that. key point. Okay. <laughs> okay. So all I'm saying is, what is it that makes the man the man? Is it the hormones? Okay. okay. Is it, if it's the hormones and you decide to give yourself a different cocktail of hormones, I, I'm making this up, by Why the way. You, I'm not saying it should happen this way. It's a way to start thinking okay, about it. It would be maybe the track meets have hormone categories. And maybe giving yourself the wrong hormones is deleterious to your health. Would you not admit that? Do you think we can just safely do things like this? So you would, feel this way because you're concerned about, you're so deeply concerned about the health of the people who are trying to find their place on the gender well, spectrum? You care about their health so much that yeah, you don't it, want well, them to it, go through that? It's not something that keeps me up at night, but when the right. subject comes up, I care about them like I care about all people. Mm -hmm. So if there is you something... You do, by the way. You think about all people. Of course. Yeah. I give, is that that, a, is I that give you that. A, oh, okay. You're being you think sincere. about all people. No, I'm being sincere. Yeah, I do. Uh -huh. Yes. Yeah. Old school liberal. Yeah. Okay. So uh, I want all people to have, you know, make this very challenging world that we live in mm -hmm. better. So that's why there's honest debate about this issue. Okay, and uh, <laughs> there shouldn't be any debate that there are physiological differences that are profound and real between men and women. Uh, speaking of women, uh, one of the most honored uh, women in recent American history, the former Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, uh, yep, she's still a member of the House of Representatives, and she was doing a forum where an audience member asked her to try to denounce Israel. And uh, Nancy, well, she responded this way. This is clip 15. We certainly are concerned about the life of every person, whether they're in Gaza or whether they're in Israel. They're calling for a ceasefire. A ceasefire is a gift to Hamas. We have to have a humanitarian pause so we can get the hostages out. We have to get that, and that is the policy of our President of the United States, who cares deeply about the loss of life on all sides. I don't know why people, if they want to go to war, they don't declare war and go in there and fight military to military, like a guy. And be a man, okay? I mean, you think that's such a big deal, go be one, right? <laughs> but they don't. They go after children, 200 kids at a rave. A rave. 200 kids killed at a dance. It was a horrible thing. It doesn't justify any loss of, uh, 
commensurate loss of life of civilians uh, that can be avoided. Uh, okay. E- yes, it could be uh, avoided. Uh, by the way, she was condemned, as was Hillary Clinton, uh, by Pramila Jayapal, who's part of the ultra-progressive clique in the House of Representatives. The Holdovers is the name of a new movie that's a major Oscar contender already. Uh, Anthony Payne, the director, the star Paul Giamatti. Listen. Now it's time for Medved's Entertainment Minute. The celebrated director Alexander Payne, who previously crafted The Descendants and Sideways, works again with Paul Giamatti, who this time plays a crusty prep school teacher in 1970 who is stuck over Christmas holiday babysitting a small group of outcast students who deeply despise him in The Holdovers, now playing in theaters. Now most of the kids dislike you, pretty much hate you. Teachers too. You know that, right? I find the world a bitter and complicated place, and it seems to feel the same way about me. And this is also a bitter and complicated movie with many touching elements and moments of unexpected humor. The supporting roles with young Dominic Sessa and Divine Joy Randolph are outstanding and impressive and likely to generate Oscar attention. At the end of two hours running time, you not only feel as if you know these people, but you actually come to care about them deeply. Three and a half stars for the impressive and unforgettable The Holdovers. And uh, next time on the Medved Show, um, we are going to be speaking to John Yu, a law professor at University of California at Berkeley, about the latest uh, legal imbroglios involving President Trump. He just finished his testimony today. What does that tell us about President Trump or about his bid for the presidency? We'll be speaking to John Yu about that. We'll also be speaking about the Middle East to Dan Sinor, who's a former political aide to Republicans and a leading conservative voice who wrote the book uh, Startup Nation, the original book that talked about the Israeli high-tech revolution and what we could learn from it. He'll be talking about uh, Israel's miracle, and we certainly could use one now. And NPR's Steve Inskeep, just back from Israel, has a book called Differ We Must, How Lincoln Succeeded in a Divided America. And may we continue to succeed in that divided America, maybe making it a little bit less divided.